0: Well, this morning, as we come to the last sermon in the uh, "Building a Godly Family" series, let me remind you where we've been. We started out uh, looking at Joshua and the call that Joshua had to the people of Israel at the end of his time of leading the nation, when he called the people back together at Shechem. and And you know that you probably heard that verse that is quoted so often there. As for me and my house. We will serve the Lord. And he's reminding the people of God that not that they need to come to God, but that they need to stay with God. That if God is not in the middle of who they are as a family, as a nation, as a people, that they have no hope. And then we've spent the last three weeks in Ephesians looking at, um, the individual portions of the family. We started out talking to the men and the importance of men to live lives that are transformed by God, that are generous to all and are wholeheartedly sold out to Jesus, and the way he transforms us as men in those roles. Then we talked about that that kind of tough passage on the women, not that women are tough, but that it's a difficult passage to sometimes deal with because we have a cultural influence that affects the way we look at it. But women are to live exclusively unto the Lord through their husbands, to live cooperative, and to live a life of reverence. And then last week we talked about the kids. Uh, and and actually it actually ends up being more about us as parents as we, we focused on it because our kids are going to catch from us so much. They're either going to catch a life of obedience or a life of disobedience. They're going to catch a life of respect or a life of disrespect. They're going to catch a life of calmness or a life of chaos. And they're either going to catch godly values worldly values from us. And so we spent the time looking at that uh, last week. So as we come to the end of this, I want to talk to you about what brings it all together. So if you have a Bible with you, go ahead and turn to John chapter 13 verses 31 to 35. As we look at let love abound, that's what brings it all together. Now let me set the scene for this passage so you know where we are in Jesus' life. It is set, I believe, in the upper room. They are a Uh, have already celebrated the Lord's uh, table, or about to celebrate the Lord's table, uh, and Judas has left the building. And you know where Judas was headed. Judas was headed to what? To betray Jesus. And so we know he slipped out of the room. So most likely it's Jesus and 11 are in the room together. And we pick up the the story in verse 31 where it says this, And when he, talking about Judas, had gone out, Jesus turns to his disciples and says this, Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in Him. If God is glorified in Him, God will also glorify Him in Himself and glorify Him at once. By the way, there were five references to the word glory there in rapid fire succession. Verse 32, if 33, If if little children, excuse me, little children, let yet a little while I am with you. You will seek Me, and just as I said to the Jews. So now... I also say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Father God, I pray that as we look at this passage, you would open our eyes to the power of love. Not the love that we can come up with, which is a pitiful, pale excuse for love. But God, the love that you place within us at salvation that transforms us from the inside out, that leads us to live lives differently, that are transformed and being continually transformed into the likeness of your dear son. God, open our eyes to what we need to see here in Jesus' name. Amen. I want, to see, I want you to see four things about this passage, about his love. Jesus' love, number one, is now available. When you look at those two verses, or what we call two verses, with all of those glorifieds in there, you kind of left scratching your head, what is he talking about? As Jesus was coming to the close of his time on earth, he wants his disciples to understand as best they could the power of love that was now available, the power of Christ's love that was now available. You see, God was at work in the world. Through his beloved son, making love real, making love lasting, making it present. And that would be accomplished, how? Through the glorification of Jesus, releasing the love of God for all mankind. This glorification happens happened when Jesus went to the cross, where he died for us. His work at the cross glorified him, therefore it glorified who? God. In, In the only way that mattered, Jesus made the way... For life to happen. Now notice these five instances. Glory. Two verses. The same word repeated again and again and again. What Jesus understood about this idea of love being released through him. Through the glorification of God. Is what was about to happen to him was ultimately not humiliation. But glorification. That God was going to be glorified through that process. His work was filled with one thought. Love made present For those who would receive it. He says it's now here. It's now available. It's now for you. His love release sets the stage for radical change. Now we're talking about godly families this series. We're talking about how to build one of those godly families. And the process that it takes to get there. It's got to start with a declaration of commitment to God. But it is wrapped up in love. His love release makes the commitment to God possible. Makes us a godly person. And releases us at the most foundational level. Now, here's what I want you to grasp from these two verses, and it's this Jesus' work has made God's love present for us. Jesus' love, God's love is right here, right now. You're going where? Right here, right now. Each one of us today, those of you who have professed faith in Jesus and professed to be a follower of Jesus, how do you do that? Well, I'm just really good and smart and I'm committed to the cause. No, let me tell you, the way you're able to do that is because of his love released in you, transforming you, leading you to the life that he has for you ultimately. It's based on him, not on us. We cannot, on our hope, live a godly standard of love. Let me be real clear. Our efforts in this area on our own are worthless. Our attempt at holiness is a foolish act at best. So as we consider the idea of building a godly family, we have to come to the place where we understand, I can't, but he can. I cannot accomplish it, but he can. I cannot bring it to pass, but he can. What Jesus does on our behalf is an amazing act of sacrifice because it glorifies God and begins to work in us, transforming us. If you remember what Paul said to the church at Galatia in chapter 2, verse 20, he said this, I have been crucified with christ well that's a that's a declaration isn't it i've been crucified it is no longer i who live but what but christ who lives in me let me tell you for something friend if you've trusted jesus as your savior if you've committed your life to god and you're searching to, to live a life for him it is not you any longer who's bringing the effort it's the spirit of god working in you And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. It is not about your effort. It's about his rolling through your life and leading you to be the person you need to be, to be the dad you need to be, the mom you need to be, the kid you need to be, to build the family you believe God has for you. Jesus' work makes his love possible. Number two, Jesus' love also makes eternity possible. Now, I've got to tell you, as I was studying for the passage uh, for the message this week, I started early in the week, and, and I got to this verse 33, and I said, uh-huh, let me read it. He says, little children. Now, the guys in the room were not children. These were adult men who have been with Jesus for the last three years, but he calls them little children. I find that interesting. One, little children, yet a little while I am with you. You will seek me. And just as I said to the Jews, so now i also say to you, where I'm going, you cannot come. What? Y'all with me? You kind of go, hmm, mm. Okay. What I want you to grasp is this idea that, and it took me a while to digest this verse, because it, it, it seems we can't figure it out how to follow Jesus on our own. In fact, the phrase here at the end of the verse is not saying we have no hope. You say, well, but where he's going, I can't go, so I have no hope. There's no chance. I'm out of luck. No. Rather, what he's saying is without the power of God released in our lives by faith, we have no power on our own to do it. This is so foreign to us in the West. We want to do what? We want to be in charge. We want to do the act. We want to be the boss. We want to accomplish. We want to do. And what he's saying is, you can't. You've got to let me work through you. Jesus' work at the cross released love in our lives for the express purpose of taking us in a new direction. And that new direction is where? In eternity with him. Now make no mistake, Jesus was with his disciples, little children, for a little little while, a little while, he had a task to accomplish. But his work at the cross not only released love, but ultimately it provides the eternal destination. The eternity is now possible. Imagine sitting in the room with Jesus and 11 disciples and he tells you, eternity is possible, but you can't do it on your own. Boy, that just smacks us in the face, doesn't it? We think, "Well I'll, who do you think you are? I'll take care of it myself. He says, no, you can't. you got to trust me. you got to walk me with me. It, it may have struck these men as a bit defeatist, a bit deflating, because we all like to think we can handle it, but Jesus is telling them they don't have the power to accomplish anything without him. But in their weakness, Jesus makes it now possible. For when I am weak, he is strong. The weakness opens the door for a possible life of eternity. And instead of facing hell and damnation, we have the possibility of glory. So here's what I want you to grasp real quickly here before we dig into the new commandment. Jesus makes... Blessed eternity possible. You know, um, right now I'm helping out over at the mission, and I went over to the mission this morning, and when I go over there, uh, I am the absolute youngest guy in the room. By a long shot. I mean, there's a lady over there that's 101, okay? You would know it from looking at her. There's a lady that's 89 over there. She's kind of younger. There's her younger sister who's like 87, there's a fellow that goes, is in his late 70s. He's a young man over there. And then I show up, almost 55, you know. And this morning, Abigail got to go with me because her mama's out of town on that same band trip that our piano player's on this week. So she went over there to the mission with me, and she's 10. And we were talking about eternity over there this morning. We were talking about age. And one of them says, well, you know, how old are you again? I said, well, I'm almost 55. You know, you're not 55. I'm almost 55, okay? And she says, well, you're just a whippersnapper. You're just a young man. I said, from your perspective, maybe. From my daughter's perspective, I'm ancient. I'm like five times her age, you know. I'm old. But here's the reality. Whether you're 10 or 55 or... 101, we all have an eternity to face one day, don't we? Life is going to come to an end one day. And if we are left to our own devices, my friend, our lives would be cruel, sadistic, destructive, let me just say it, nasty. Nasty. But God's word makes it clear that we now have a possibility of eternity because of his work that he's about to complete on the cross that works to transform us from what we were to what he wants us to be, to change the lives that we live and the families we put together and the work of the Jesus accomplished at the cross and his resurrection brings us life here and where in eternity. But how do you do that? You got to be connected. You got to connect Yesterday morning I decided uh, since my shrubs had survived the snowstorm this year that I would go ahead and trim them. They were kind of out of out of whack and it was a mess. They was just all over the place. So I got out the electric hedge clippers. I use those every, every other year. about the only time I ever pull them out. Plug it in and I started working on them. Now what's amazing about plants and shrubs and vines is you can cut them off and they lay on the ground. You know what color they still are? the same color they were on the plant. You know why? Because it's just separated, right? So I'm going through there cutting and hacking and, well, hacking would probably be a better way to say it, and working on cleaning that up and raking stuff out and cleaning the mess up. And I got to thinking about this morning. I said, you know, this is what it's like. When that plant's branch was connected to the plant, it could put out a flower. It could put out a leaf. It could put out something beautiful to look at. But when I cut it off, guess what happens? It'll start to turn brown and start to decay. That's the way it is with us. That's what Jesus is talking about here, I believe. He said this, I am the vine. You are the branches, the part that grows out. Whoever abides in me, abide means stays connected to and I and him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Once we get in a relationship with God, we now have this possibility of eternity. We have a possibility of life, of fruitfulness that we can have in the here and now. And because of Jesus, we have the potential to experience eternity that takes us in a new direction. Why did he put that in the middle of this little section? Because it's so important. Because it's love that brings it all together. It's what makes us connected. So his love is available. His love is possible for eternity. And his love, third, is going to reign supreme. Look at verse 34. Jesus, talking to his disciples in the upper room, looks at them and says, I got a new commandment for you. Wow. A new commandment I give to you that you tolerate each other. Is that what it says? That you just put up with each other. That you just ignore each other if you have to. No, that's not what he says. He says that you love one another. Why? How? Not why, but how? Just as I've loved you, you also are to love one another. Man, this is getting tough. You say, well, I love my kids. Sometimes I don't like them, but I love my kids, okay? Sometimes I don't like my wife, but I love her, okay? That's the idea, but taken to the next level. God's love's available. His eternity's ahead. What happens in the here and now? How do we live between the moment of forgiveness and the moment of eternity promised and and received? It's here Jesus gives this commandment. It's here Jesus gives us clear instruction for those who've answered the call to follow. We are expected, demanded, commanded to allow godly love to reign in our human relationships. Well, I can't do that. Do you have God's love? Then it can happen. Well, I can't do that. Do you have God's love? No, then you probably can't do it. This is a high call. His love is intended to be the most important thing in life, for it reigns supreme. Love is allowed to flow freely between us and between us. Now catch the big idea, because Jesus lays out a high calling for us as his followers. We're called to live out this released love heading toward eternity by loving one another with the same standard that God loves us. How much do you think God loves you? Well, I think he loves me. Can I tell you something? Even if you're kind of starting to figure out that God loves you, he loves you way more than you can ever understand. It's so much bigger, deeper, wider, loftier, amazing. He loves you so much. He loves me so much that he sent his one and only son to die on a cross to service the replacement cost for your sin. That's a pretty high call, isn't it? This love is then supposed to be released from deep within our redeemed souls to those around us. a new commandment I give to you that you love one another just as I have loved you. You're also to love one another. It moves me. It leads me. It constrains me. It causes me to live differently than those who don't know his love. It affects my family relationships. It affects my social relationships. It affects my business relationships. It affects my just casual conversations with people I don't even know relationships. Here's the thought I want you to grasp real quickly. Following Jesus radically. Changes how we love. You know, that's a word we flip out there sometimes. Oh, that's radical. Now, I'm going to tell you, Jesus' love is so vastly different than any love we could possibly ever come up with on our own. It is radically different. And his love within us radically changes us and changes how we love. In our language, we have one word for love. You know, I, I love God. And last night we made dinner. I love a hamburger. Now, let me tell you what those are not the same kinds of love, are they let's let 's just say let 's hope it 's not right I mean, can you imagine that you love God with the same amount of love you have for a, a piece of dead meat okay I mean, come on, no way. Now, what he's talking about here in their language is a special kind of love. You probably have heard this before. This is nothing new to most of you, if not all of you. He's using a special word here for love. It's not just I love you like a brother. It is agape. It's a godly love. It's a love that is not from within but from above that comes into our lives and is then released in us. It's a life that changes us and a promised life transformed in us. And because of his love released in us, we do this. We don't hold grudges. We choose to forgive. We restore relationships. Not necessarily because we want to, but because his love motivates us to. Now, we're going to dig a bit deeper on it on the last point. But for right now, grasp this radical transformation Jesus' presence when truly in us has on the way that we live. We don't hold the offenses. We see people like God does, loved by him. We choose to forgive offenses like God does. And how can a person who follows God refuse to give forgive? How can a follower of Jesus cut off a brother or a sister? How can one who professes to know Jesus live like the pagans of the world? Friend, building a godly family... Includes living and loving like Jesus. Listen to the words of Jesus, John chapter three, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Jesus came not to bring condemnation, but to bring salvation. That's how much he loves us. That's how much we're supposed to love. In Christ, we have no condemnation. We have forgiveness. We have peace. We have joy. And his love reigns supreme. One more point I want you to see this morning, and it's centered in verse 35. Jesus' love then confirms identity, confirms our identity. that should be our word identity, not identify. The guy who puts the PowerPoint together is standing here talking to you and messed it up. Identity. Look at verse 35. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you attend the First Baptist Church. They'll all know you're my disciples if you serve on a committee. If you're an American, they'll know you're my disciple. No. If you give millions of dollars to charity... You know, can I tell you something? Going to the First Baptist Church and serving on a committee and giving a million dollars is probably easier sometimes than loving one another, isn't it? For Jesus' disciple, we find love is released in us. We find eternity is possible. We find that that love is allowed to reign supreme in our lives. But as this love is set loose, it also what? Conter- con- con- confirms our Our identity. Jesus wanted his disciples to understand the primary way we know we know that we are his disciple was how we love one another. This is a radical thought. Jesus was talking to men steeped in Old Testament scriptures and Old Testament thinking and the way they were taught in the Old Testament if you follow God you will follow his commandments. You'll do the list. What Jesus is doing here is changing the evidence from what you do to how you love. Hmm. Not what you do, but how you love. And how you love, by the way, ends up affecting what you do. The evidence one truly loves Jesus has revealed how we treat fellow believers in Christ. For if we profess to love a God we have seen, but hate a brother whom uh, whom we have seen, we're not telling the truth. God's love transforms us. It transforms how we live. It transforms how we act. It transforms how we treat one another. And what Jesus is wanting us to grasp is this. Godly love transforms us on every level and it helps us to identify as his followers. Here's what I want you to see as we wrap it up. The way we love one another reveals our true identity. Later in life, the same guy who wrote the Gospel of John John, wrote a couple other books, a couple other letters. He wrote three letters uh, that we call 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. And they were written to churches in what is today Western um, Turkey, Asia Minor back then. And they were having some real struggles. They were having some theological issues. They were having some some problems within the churches uh, of, of relational issues. And he addresses that same issue, this idea of love. And he quotes Jesus in the context of them. And he says this. Look at first John four twenty to twenty one. It'll be on the screen. If anyone says, I love God, and he hates his brother, he is a well, them is fighting words, right? If somebody calls you a liar, you kinda get a kind of get your get you, get you hmm, huh, upset. You with me? He said, well, this is hard stuff, okay? If anyone says, I love God and hates hates his brother, he's a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, from who? From Jesus, because he quotes what Jesus says all the way back in Jerusalem. He says this, whoever loves God must also love his brother. This is where building a godly family really starts to connect. It's where building a godly life becomes real. As one old preacher I used to listen to would say, this is where the rubber meets the road. This is where it gets real. For until we truly love one another, regardless of what has happened, we cannot honestly identify as a follower of Jesus. And how in the world can I build a godly family as a godly daddy Without godly love. How can I be a part of building a godly family as a godly mama without godly love? How can I build a godly family as a godly kid without godly love? For until we truly love, regardless of what has happened, we cannot identify as a follower of Jesus. Listen, we can not like the actions of some, but we still must Love. I think this is a word for our country today. I suspect it's a word for each one of us today. I suspect it's a word for our church today. And we come to the place where we trust Him fully. Let me ask you this Have you come to the place where you've trusted Jesus fully? Not, well, I'm a member of the First Baptist Church or I'm on the committee that does. No. Or you gave a million dollars or some, a billion dollars because I'm so wealthy. No. Have you come to the place where you've trusted Christ personally? You've given your heart to him. Here in a moment, we're going to give you an opportunity to respond if God's leading you to do that. Maybe you need to trust him as Savior. I'd love to pray with you right down here and help you to pray and ask Christ into your heart. Maybe you just need to come and pray at an altar because you know Jesus, but you know things aren't right. Maybe you've got other decisions that need to happen today. Don't put it off. When God's calling, that's the time to do whatever it is he's calling you to do. Father, we thank you for allowing us to be in your house today to worship, to look at your word. And I pray, God, as we spend just a few minutes uh, contemplating what your word has spoken to us, what your spirit has revealed to us, That, Father, you would let us know what we need to do. Father, for many it's going to be just a, let's renew my commitment right now where I'm at. I want you to be first. I want your love to fill my presence in my life. For others it may be a decision to trust Christ for the very first time. For others it may be a part of becoming part of a fellowship. For others it may be just coming and praying at our altar. We pray your hand to be free in these next few moments. Do what you would with us. We want to be faithful to you. In Jesus' name, amen.